Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. The show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com and subscribed with your email, I need you to follow me today. We've reached episode 51. I'd say that's an accomplishment, wouldn't you? I got four articles. Apologies for the late release on this. I was on vacation as I, uh, as I'll talk about and then I had a wedding and it's been a wonderful summer filled with social events, but gosh, darn it. If it doesn't take up my free time, <laughs> but I do have four articles that and two of which in particular, I'm really excited to discuss one. I'm a little worried to discuss if I'm being Frank uh, more so than the others from a censorship perspective. And then the other ones that I'm also excited about, I'm terrified about because it's a, it is an excursion into original thought in such a way that I, uh, that I don't, I don't know, that I've been working my way towards. So I'm kind of excited. Hope you guys like it. Please let me know if you do. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to the podcast, like I said, at beenawake.com with your email address. You can follow me on Twitter. Interact with me there. Share the show with a friend if you would be so kind. Um, the first piece we're going to go over is a little ditty that I kind of wrote for myself because let it not ever be said that I am preaching from atop a mountain. <laughs> um, I, I writing for me is about figuring things out and hopefully people find value within it. There might come a point where it is, um, you know, where, where there might come a point in my life where I do feel more or well, not even more that I feel differently about that. But as for right now, a lot of times it's not about, it's not about us speaking down. It's about, it's about working through the issues myself. Um, and, you know, I kind of, cause I said, I think on the show that yeah, I tend to, I've used the last few, uh, some different vacations that I've taken to spend my time writing and reading. And I didn't actually do that this past vacation because I was spending time with family, which is also very important to me um, and family that I hadn't seen in a while. Um, and so I, I got this little, I, and I, and I had, I had it today, frankly, before I sat down to record this episode, there's this little mind, uh, trick. There's this little trick that my mind plays on me that, that I was, that I'm trying to work out in this, which is like, oh, well, I got to catch up, right? Like I haven't posted as consistently as I was just a few months ago. Um, and you know, it's, and there's just less, seems like there's less time in the day and work has gotten good busy. So I can't really complain about that, but you know, the reality is that there's just been less free time. And then so less time also on top of that to dedicate towards specifically towards writing, which means I don't do the research. And so anyway, interruption in the normal schedule, although there's still plenty of great content. That's the thing I have to remind myself is that I don't do this full time and this isn't my job, even though I do enjoy it so much, but I, I got into this mind trap of wanting to catch up right? Like I got to catch up to get to where I need to be. But I think that might be a mistake. 
because catching up in this context means that every time I sat down to write, it was one more article than I had in the tank. And as a consequence, those missed pieces, like those missed articles, turned into a metaphysical mountain. Context is important. In fact, it's critical. Context also leads us to correctly understanding the realities of hierarchy and prioritizing our time. Remembering that I interrupted my writing schedule for important family events helps me reset my perspective and mindset about content production. In that I'm making anything worth reading, it isn't coming, it can't come from a place of dread or terror. That merely leads to anxious writer's block. So if you're playing catch up, you might try to take the lead instead. The result is the same success. I don't know. I like, I like to try to do these mind hack things. I don't know if it's a mind hack, but to try and reframe and repurpose ideas to help myself get over something and maybe to help other people too. I think that's something, uh, I think that's something that the work speak that the work speaks for itself. So let's talk about the most dangerous word beginning with I, because I don't want to really end on this because I want to end on the pantheonic method. So um, I'm going to say a dangerous word. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to say the word because uh, you know what? I don't put this out on YouTube. Um, I'm going to say a dangerous word. It's called ivermectin. You want to know why it's dangerous? It's because it's taken a respected academic, Brett Weinstein, and put him almost on the outs and without a, without a source of income for his family. So the story goes, when Brett Weinstein headlines a live stream entitled The Crime of the Century, this is now, by the way, censored from YouTube. I linked to the original. In the piece, I linked to a YouTube video, which is, yep, it's not there. <laughs> so I will try to uh, update. I'm going, I'll, I'll update that with, I think they have it um, mirrored on Rumble. So you can watch the interview there, but, 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 but I pay attention because he generally decries attention, getting headlines, given his background as a scientist and a teacher in this, in this interview, though, he talks to P Dr. Pierre Corey from the FLCCC. That's the frontline COVID-19 critical care Alliance. For those of you keeping score at home, it's a collection of decorated physicians who have established successful protocols that have outpaced some of the more official channels like the Center for Disease Control and Dr. Fauci's media rounds. The major thrust of the conversation is around a drug known as ivermectin, which, is, which at least in the evidence presented by Dr. Corey, shows positive benefits in treating and prevented COVID-19 transmission. This drug is wildly available and able to be mass-produced. There were two simultaneous thoughts that occurred to me while watching this video. One was gratitude, but that gratitude was followed by contempt. I felt gratitude for the work someone like Dr. Corey and countless medical professionals like him who have still have a, who have, like him who have had a thankless time of being professionals who chose not to toe the party line and save the lives of patients as a result. So too, for someone like Dr. Weinstein, who was ostracized from the university, as well as his wife, Dr. Heather Hine, to continue his scientific endeavors for a larger audience, thanks to our technological advancement. So if you don't know the Evergreen story, I would highly recommend you go check out the YouTube documentary that Mike Nanya, I believe is the correct pronunciation of his name, <clears throat> has out there. It's a, um, it was an early indicator of what was to come, to put things simply. 
But thankfully, you know, he can, he can still practice the science thanks to technological advancement in a platform like YouTube. The combination of this technological advancement and these, these two professionals created a careful yet compelling conversation that challenges power in a very real and very necessary way. But then came the contempt for how the brightest of technology and media have attempted to protect and steer the ship of humanity over the last year. These giant corporations have become indistinguishable at times with government action. They act in parallel with similar consequences. The content moderation policies at places like Facebook have to rely on an outside source for a standard to compare their policy against. The result is that good doctors who could have had their voices heard have been banned in the name of science. And of course, the video itself has now been banned. So what do I mean when I write the content moderation at places like Facebook have to rely on an outside source for a standard to compare their policy against. <clears throat> well, I've said this elsewhere. I think I've said, and I might've said this on the show before too, but you know, at the end of the day, while even though there's algorithms and there's artificial intelligence, this, a lot of this content moderation is first off done through independent contractors. Right. So there's like, so, you know, you kind of create your own little company and all they do is specialize in content moderation for Facebook. And so they're part of Facebook. They only, Facebook is their only customer, but, you know, they're their own kind of entity. They're independent from Facebook per se as a corporation. It's a tax thing. And what those independent contractors will do is hire people to sit behind a computer and to manually review. A lot of these things that get flagged in the algorithm by people for different reasons. Now, let's let's just be let's just think about the type of person that's going to take that job. Will they have the type of skill and knowledge that somebody like a Dr. Corey would have? And not, you know, a, a Dr. Corey, a world-renowned emergency medical expert and practitioner nonetheless. Well, no, right? Because he's a doctor. He's spent a lot of time and a lot of money to teach himself skills to make sure that he can operate as a medical professional. Which is kind of to say that a medical professional isn't really going to wind up at a Facebook in subcontractor desk moderating content. So how do you how do you solve that knowledge gap? If this person doesn't have the medical expertise to have any sort of, you know, legitimate opinion. And by the way, you know, your humble host here would be somebody as well. Like I don't have specific medical expertise. I would never pretend to. All I'm doing here is reporting information and telling you to go watch a very interesting interview. I'm not making any specific claims about, about med medicine because I don't, I, I really can't. And certainly within the context, because context is important within the context of the show, I don't, I don't want to overstate my case on anything, right? There's, there's some room for, there's some room for a show, but I, I, you know, I try to be a careful thinker. And especially in the show, I put myself in the mind, in that mindset to be as careful as I can when I'm giving information to people who take time out of their day to read what I have to write or say. <laughs> so I'm not making any medical, I, I don't have any particular medical expertise. All I can do is rely on the expertise of other people and as you know, a reasonably intelligent person put those pieces together and come up with some sort of a puzzle. Well, the person that Facebook is hiring is going to do that same thing. The question is, where do they go for that information? 
right? This is, this is how you can create economies of scale and how you can mass produce an object is you don't have to think about everything. You're given a task and a rule book to follow. And as long as you follow that rule book, you can, you're doing your job. So this is an obvious, well, it would appear to be a bug in the system because in practice, that's what ends up happening, right? There at, 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 at the, well, at the choke point, at the choke point of what actually gets removed from the, from the algorithm, from the platform. At the choke point, a lot of times when we're talking about manual review in a place like Facebook, YouTube is slightly different, but the principle holds. You know, these people by definition don't have the same expertise as somebody in, you know, medicine. And so they have to go to a third party. And that third party are going to have been organizations, practically speaking, and you can understand why in a sense, if you want to be naive about it. Or if you want, not naive, naive is not the right word. If you want to be, um, if you want to be charitable about it, right? It would make sense that the World Health Organization, if we're just going to go off names alone, that the World Health Organization would be a good entity to follow. If we're just going off names alone, the Center for Disease Control might have something good to say about a topic. Of course, I just don't look at the world, as we'll get into here in a little bit, with the, with the introduction of the Pantheonic method, the Pantheonic approach. I don't understand why you would take the word or you can understand a context in which you wouldn't have to, you don't have to take the word of the CDC over in all cases that of the FLCCC. Because it shouldn't be expected that large, slow bureaucratic organizations are going to have the most innovative approach to something that is by definition novel. This is what, you know, this is my, this is part of the theory of, you know, skepticism is driving humanity. Right. It's because it's people who are willing to take a look and, and, and it's not even. Well, skepticism is a part of science, but it's willing. It's people who are willing to stand up against what is established when they know something is right. That actually moves that, that like, again, almost by definition helps move things forward, because if the right thing is already happening, then we're moving forward. Um, that might be confusing, but let's focus on the important part. And the important part is um, the important part is the practice of YouTube banning content. My apologies. That was a little off topic. But, at, but, but, but after that video was banned in a private chat that I have with a few friends, um, one recently posed a question that in his own words, he was attempting to get at the core of human thought. This is exactly the endeavor of good philosophy. So I'll do my best to begin a satisfactory answer and a satisfactory answer to the question of what branch of philosophy has caused the most human suffering. I begin where most wouldn't, which is the conception of the core of human thought, right? So my friend said, what branch of philosophy would cause has caused the most human suffering. Right? I'm trying to get at the core of human thought here in the practice. So I would I think we need to broaden our perspective before we can begin to see the whole. When I do an interview for the podcast, my first question is asking people what schools of thought 
they identify with. As a skeptic, I set aside the idea that there is one singular truth to be uncovered like, the, like an X marked over the spot on a tattered old tapestry. I'm fond of saying, there's no such thing as thinking outside of the box. You can find another box to think in, but you can't escape thinking inside of a box. You can't escape the boundaries of the human mind or reality such as we know it. This impulse is why I place such an emphasis on conceptualizing things in terms of a school of thought. It is particularly useful because it emphasizes the degree to which the thoughts are designed, they have edges, and they're, and they're designed to instruct the individual and, by definition, a broader culture. Confirmation bias means that we tend to view ourselves as being right and people we disagree with as being wrong. This goes whether you're a liberal, conservative, and so on. Establishing the parameters for a school of thought demonstrates that we are talking about ideas in a way that they are given as instructions to accomplish something in the world. Establishing the parameters for a school of thought demonstrates we are talking about ideas in such a way as they are given as instructions to accomplish something in the world. It also emphasizes we are shaping ideas and our conception into something usable, which is to say, logical. This pursuit is the endeavor of the poet, the prince, and the philosopher. I take this pantheonic approach because I think it better exemplifies the landscape versus a simple binary of right and wrong. In fact, in that any school of thought can be distinguished, it will likely have both costs in addition to the benefits. Put another way, there are positive and negative understandings of any school of thought, and this is what I call the paradox of identity. Every school of thought has costs and benefits. There are positive and negative understandings to anything and to any school of thought. This is the paradox of identity. If there is good and evil in everything, we must understand this interplay and find the balance. In my most humble of opinions, this, this is the effort of philosophy. Without consequences, there is no purpose to an exercise, and therefore we can discard ideas that have no conception of consequence. This is the framework over which I operate, and you know, let me know what you think about it because uh, you know, it's, I'd like to think this is unique. I want to make one additional point that I didn't get to in this piece or the next one. But I say if there is good and evil in everything, and one very obvious, right? <laughs> one very obvious rejoinder to that would be the religious one, which is to say God is all good. And so perhaps it would be better I, as in that I'm dealing with philosophy, I'm dealing with the realm of human reason, which by definition is not godlike. If not, maybe, maybe given to us by God, but it's not the realm of God per se. So, things of man, better said, if you will, for, to that to that argument that I would say, things of man have both good and evil, and that would include man's ideas, even, perhaps, I don't want to I don't want to be too final here, but even perhaps ideas about God. 
that would be an interesting thing to explore in a talk with somebody. <laughs> so when I, I put that together for my friend, and like I said, it's the beginning, right? Like, so that's, you can imagine that as being the introduction to something and that's necessary. There is, I, I understand people's desire to have things be an answer. And, and there's an element of that that we can do, right? That's, that's, that's the applied stuff of how do you actually look at something? And it's very important. But if you want to be somebody who understands it, I'm the one that's going to make sense of it. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And so there, it always matters in these conversations where we begin. Because, well, you know, where you begin determines where you end up. And this is where we've ended up, which is a place I'm quite, quite excited with. So method is defined by Oxford Dictionary as, quote, a particular form of procedure for accomplishing or approaching something, especially a systematic or established one. I preferred the Oxford definition to the one found in Merriam-Webster's, which was, quote, a procedure or process for attaining an object, an object such as, but <laughs> that was the wrong place to that was the wrong place to uh, stop the quote. A procedure or process for attaining an object. But both definitions drive at establishing what I am doing by entitling this piece the Pantheonic method. This will be something I refer back to often and will be explored further, but here's the basic schema. Given that we have defined method as a particular form or procedure for accomplishing or approaching something, it should be established what the procedure is and what it attempts to accomplish or approach. The what we seek is knowledge, a greater understanding about the world. The procedure allows the practitioner to classify ideas into schools of thought, which can then be compared within the broader pantheon of ideas. The Pantheon was a temple dedicated to all the gods. The roots of the word are pan, meaning many or all, and theos, meaning gods. The word Pantheon is used to describe all the Greek and Roman gods of old classified as a group. It can be understood from this that we are, we are attempting, in the Pantheonic method, to classify ideas in such a way as to include them all. While we may later place value judgments on a particular school of thought, the purpose of the method is to first categorize, classify, and then relate the various schools of thought to one another. In the absence of such a method, so let's, let's, make, sure, let's make sure we're clear on that. So what we're going to do is classify things into different schools of thought. And in fact, at this stage, at this stage that I'm establishing, I'm not, we're not even going to layer them because these things would fall into a hierarchy unto themselves as well, right? And, they, and they'll operate on different, on different axes as well. For example, materialism is a much broader school of thought than, say, scientism and, uh, scientism and Marxism, although that's, well, yeah, scientism and Marxism. That doesn't mean that scientists, uh, scientism doesn't have a materialist bent and neither does Marxism. We can talk about theistic, about, about theism and the idea of religion as a, as a school of thought. 
similar to what similar to with what Jordan Peterson did talking about the psychological impacts of story. Here we can take the various religions as schools of thought, and then still that would be they they would still there would still be a polytheism school of thought and a monotheistic school of thought. We don't even have to order the fact that, okay, well, if we're talking about monotheism and then we're going to put Christianity in that, that's the next step. First, what we have to do is trying to establish the school of thought by, by, by putting a limit around it, right? A limit, a boundary, it's a consequence. There's something to this. It's not just general ruminations. This is something coherent, cohesive, and able to be articulated. Without that, there's no transmission of information. There's no transmission of knowledge. So why don't people think like this? Why isn't that this? This is, by the way, not that far off from what you're, what the, what you're told to do in some cases. And certainly if you had good teachers, your good teachers will tell you this. But this is the reason why I'm putting this in terms of a method. This is something that needs to be instructed and taught. It needs to be passed on in culture because it's, it exists within the realm of reason. So this is what happens when that, doesn't, when that doesn't occur. In the absence of such a method, which is an exercise of our reason, we are left to understanding the world at a more instinctual level. This is what I'll dub the ever-present monolith. The mistake of many schools of thought is that, is that they take myop, myopic ideology and they affix it to a monolithic caricature. And this creates an incorrect understanding of reality. This is a consequence of a basic sorting mechanism we do. A basic sorting mechanism we do as social creatures, which is that we necessarily, like as, as a function of being, in that we exist, we create a conception of me and you, of us and them. Or, as your author is fond of pointing out, there is always the presence of an in-group and an out-group. This very natural and beneficial adaptation can be hijacked by ideology if we do not guard against our minds with reason, which is why, which is why we have, which is why I'm establishing the pantheonic method. If the monolithic caricature is activated by an ideology or school of thought concerned with destruction, it can be catastrophic for the human mind and broader society. In the zenith of enlightenment, I put forth that I believe humans operate on at least three different and distinct drives, instinct, reason, and faith. If a school of thought preys on our capacity for categorizing the other as one great monolith, they usually do so through our capacity for faith and our ability to reason backwards from emotion. This method is similar in form to the methodological individualism established in Ludwig von Mises' Human Action, but it differs in one major regard. We are not dealing with individual action. One of the first things I wrote for this project stated, unlike rocks and plants, human ideas are not so easily separated from one another. The logic of human action does not have to comport with the dreams of the human mind. This is why I give the nod towards the gods of ancient man. They were numerous, perfect in many ways, but all very human.
like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.